Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Thank you, JJ, for that introduction. And I also want to give a thank you to all my listeners from around the world. Every time I look at the stats, it's just so amazing how my audience is growing. We have listeners from, of course, the North Americas, United States and Canada, the United Kingdom, Norway, Germany, India, Israel, Australia, France, Denmark, Spain, Sweden, South Africa, Rwanda, Senegal, Ireland, Burundi, Hong Kong, Malaysia, Pakistan, and the list just keeps growing. I appreciate each and every listener. I appreciate each and every comment and review that you make because this is what is going to make this show even more successful. And each of my guests has a phenomenal story to tell that the rest of the world needs to hear. We cover a variety of subjects. And today is, again, new territory of a subject we're going to cover with my guest, Chris Tryon. She is an author a motivational speaker, and a cancer survivor. With a bit of a twist, and this is what I mentioned, she's going to share today a little different approach to cancer than the other guests that we have had on the show. Her book is called Dear Sister, Today Is. And it is about her personal journey through the various stages of breast cancer including the valuable lessons that she learned and the lessons she wants to share with us, with you, to empower her sisters who may be going through similar circumstances. Welcome, Chris. Thank you, Carol, for the glowing introduction. (laughs) Okay, live up to it now, girl. I'm going to work on this. (laughs) Okay, so the first question I have for you, I think many people have gone down this road, and of course many people have, have had different ways that they have responded. And the question is, what went through your mind at the moment you were given your cancer diagnosis? My doctor called me over the phone. Now, this should not come as a shock to me, but it did because I went into her office, knowing in my heart that I had breast cancer. Really? But it never dawns on you until you actually hear the words, and it felt like someone had sucker punched me, and I had the wind knocked out of me, and the tears started. And my doctor waited for me long enough to compose myself before she proceeded, of which I started asking questions, and she was more than willing to answer. But I had initially found one lump, 
and there were two lumps that were biopsied when I had the initial biopsy done because of a very vigilant ultrasound technician. Really? Uh, how yes, when I, how when fortunate, I, right? Yes. When I asked her, <clears throat> were they was one cancer or both? And she said both. And even though I knew, my heart told me, my gut instinct told me, I had known since the, the month prior before I even set up my initial doctor's appointment that it was cancer, but nothing prepares you to actually hear those words. So how did you process that? Uh, my first thing was, what's your, what is our plan? And because my doctor is who she is, she's very blunt, straightforward. She's been doing this for 20-some years. She just got straight to the point. Here's our plan. Here's what we're doing next. It was two days before Thanksgiving, 2011. Mm. So you go into this and, okay, well, I'm thankful that it's stage one. <laughs> That's right. You have to find something to be thankful for. I, I was thankful that it was stage one, but what I didn't know until a week later was that it was going to, stage one was going to turn into a bilateral mastectomy. That was not the thing that I expected to hear. And was that unusual that it um, happened so quickly, or was that because the doctor recommended that? That was not unusual because she figured there was two that we knew about. An MRI found what we knew to be at least four. She said it wasn't if it spread to my right breast, but when. And then she told me okay. to think about my long term, what would I would or will not regret doing 10, 15, 20 years in the future. And it made perfect sense just to say goodbye, 38 double Ds. So what what were the options that she did offer you? The only options that she did give me was to have the bilateral mastectomy. And she immediately proceeded to do not plas go, meet with the plastic surgeon, and let's get, what, get back what breast cancer is taking away from you. She immediately wanted me to schedule an appointment to have reconstructive surgery done. So I... Got that information. She had two surgeons that she works with regularly. One of them lives close to me. The other one, his office is close to me rather than the other one is an hour away. I opted for the one, the guy that was 20 minutes away, obviously, and scheduled that appointment and found out, of course, I did not qualify for this replace your boobs with your belly fat. And he was trying to push implants on me, which I said, absolutely not. I had not heard anything good about implants at all. And I scheduled the appointment for my bilateral mastectomy for eight days later, actually nine days later. So I did, not have I did not have a whole lot of time to process it. Wow, no kidding. Yes. My doctor said, you know, I promise you if you do this before Christmas, I will have you feeling almost normal by Christmas. And I wanted to wait till after the first of the year. I mm -hmm. had a holiday. But whenever she put it that way, I'm, okay, we'll get this done. My boys will be home from college for two weeks. I'll be waited on hand and foot for two whole weeks. Okay, let's do this before the, the boys come home. So, In yeah. hindsight, are you glad you did that way? Absolutely, because I honestly believe that if I had waited even two more weeks, that cancer would have spread. And it would not have been bilateral mastectomy, no chemo, no radiation. It would have been bilateral mastectomy, radiation, and oh, by the way, you might have six months to live. Right, right. So you made the right decision. You're totally confident about that. I That's no wonderful. Regret. Absolutely. Now, is there a particular reason that you want to share of why you were not a candidate for reconstructive surgery? 
well, I wanted, I was a candidate for reconstruction with the implants, but I was not going to qualify to have my belly fat. That's what I meant. Sorry. Because I did not have enough belly fat. I'm, okay. I'm, All right. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. Right. All right. That's that. I was not, I was not given the option to not have reconstruction. That was my issue. And it took me five very emotional hours after I met with the plastic surgeon, come home, what did my doctor tell me to do? What will you regret or not regret doing 10, 15, 20 years in the future? And it wasn't until I researched that topic extensively for five straight hours that I came to the conclusion that my husband tried to tell me initially was, if a surgery isn't necessary to save your life, why would you do it? So aside from that conclusion, what else did you discover in your, in your research? 93% of the women 10 years later would not have reconstruction again. It just was not worth the pain and the suffering. I've heard a number of women refer to their reconstructive surgery as Franken-boobs. They're hard. There's no sensation. They can't sleep. It's in and out of surgery. It's never as simple as the doctors make it sound. Really? Okay. Now, you mentioned that you don't feel that uh, doctors are giving all the information to um, the patient. Do you feel, are you on the campaign to change that? Like, is this part of your uh, campaign that you have going? And we'll talk about that later, but I'm just wondering, are, you know, are you getting that research that you discovered out there? What are you doing for I this am, campaign? I am a member of a Flat and Fabulous Facebook group. We are 2,000 women strong. Our goal is to take it out into the communities because doctors are in it for the money. They help each other out. With also, they don't tell you about reconstructive surgeries that up to 50% of their patients will have complications. That's not a statistic they want out there glowing in people's faces. I've never heard this before, and I'm sure that this is new to many of my listeners. So, in other words, you are trying to warn women through your, is it Flat and Fabulous Facebook page, or is there another organization as that is, well? That, that is the organization that is on Facebook that I Never miss an opportunity to visit, sometimes several times a day. Some of the women on this site have had reconstructive surgery and have, have had complications and had it go dreadfully wrong. What so do they when, do then? Do they redo it or what do they do? They, they do something what they call deconstruction. They remove the tissue expanders. They remove the implants. Oh, but my that's goodness. a whole lot of pain and extended recovery times and, gosh, the cost alone, even though insurance, most insurance companies will pick up 80% of the tab, there's one woman in our group that had medical bills before her insurance kicked in that were in excess of a quarter of a million dollars. Oh my goodness. Unbelievable. And this this is not, um, you know, for aesthetic purposes. This is actually, you know, to make you a, a whole person you want to be as far as the insurance company goes, right? The, insur do the insurance companies believe and the media believes that women need breasts in order to be women. That's what I'm saying. So why would they not cover the costs? Well, they do pick up 80% of the tab, but 20% is still a pretty Still a lot of money. money. Right, right. Okay. For something that is not going to have feeling, that is going to be painful, where you cannot sleep. Exactly. Exactly. What other platforms do you have where you try to get this message out? Most of the time I spend on Flat and Fabulous, and I'm also trying to promote it through my Toastmasters speeches that I joined. I joined Toastmasters International 
exactly one year ago. Okay, and what kind of groups do you do you speak to? Right now, I'm just primarily working with my local group, but thanks to the fabulous site and for Toastmasters International, I'm now taking it to our local and regional groups. In fact, I'm participating in a contest tomorrow that I'm very much looking forward to sharing the benefits of not having reconstructive with reconstruction with. Okay, let's talk about the emotional side of it. Um, do you do you wear a bra? That I, okay, go, go ahead. I wear a mastectomy bra with a pair of fake boobs on, on on the outside, so I still look and feel normal. Okay. That's important. I wanted to look and feel normal. I mean, I was 47 at the time of my diagnosis. So looking and feel normal, I get that. And honestly, these are more comfortable than my original factory issue were. My original ones were 38 double Ds. I'm a 36C looking like a 36B on a five-foot-tall-inch frame. I look, <laughs> I look perfectly normal now. To most people, I no longer walk into a room and have people staring at my chest. Right, right, because, okay, so you that gives you probably more self-confidence as well. Oh, yes, and I did not, one of the reasons I did get fitted with the fake breasts is because I didn't want people staring at my chest for the opposite reason. Right. To stare at my chest. Right. I did not want to be the first, I did not want the first words out of most people's mouths to be, did you have breast cancer? That's something I want to initiate the conversation on. Now, like, is what's the discomfort? Is there any discomfort? I have, with the prosthesis, absolutely, yes. a little bit of heat in the summertime when it's like 90 and humid in Ohio. But when that happens, I just take them off. Right. You so know? It's more like a bra then. It's not, it's not something that um, it's is... A bra. It is a bra, and my, my fake ones weigh eight ounces each. Okay. So a lot lighter than probably what your originals were. Uh, by, about, <laughs> by about at least four pounds. <laughs> okay. I, I had a friend ask me at a wedding reception 12 days after I had my surgery. Ask, she asked me how much they weighed. And some of my other friends that overheard part of this conversation said, we can't believe she would ask that question. Like, Honestly, Kim's larger than I am. I would have been asking her the exact same question. Yes, exactly, because it makes a difference with your the way you stand, um, your back issues, etc. Oh, I, I lived with chronic back and shoulder pain for 24 years. After I had my babies, I never went smaller than a 38 than a 36D, and I was averaging a 38 double D. So when you are referring to flat and fabulous, it is not a matter of as you said, flaunting the idea that you have are flat. It's basically just opting out of the surgery. It's opting out of the surgery, and some women actually are very proud of the fact that they did not have reconstruction, and they're perfectly willing to have those conversations started. A lot of them, that we have one woman in particular who's really good at uh, taking pictures of her latest uh, rummage sale and thrift store finds of clothes that those of us who do not have cleavage can actually wear and look normal. So yeah, there's a whole lot of support on there. It is, I mean, I think I'm probably in about 30% of women on this site that actually wear the fake boobs pretty much consistently, at least when I'm in public. Okay. Okay. And about two thirds of them are perfectly happy going flat, but they're always looking for the clothes, the ruffles and the stuff that won't draw attention to their flatness. Now, regarding the emotional side, I am sure that you went through a lot of different types of emotions. Is this one of the things that you address 
in your group to help women get through this in in supporting their decision? Absolutely. Absolutely. Those first couple of weeks, you will be crying in the shower. It will be far more difficult. I will also tell you if you are involved in an intimate relationship, whether you're married or have a significant other, in most cases, it will be far more difficult for them to see your scars than what it will be you. And that's that something you need to prepare yourself for. That's something I was not prepared for, but it's something my husband was quite clear about saying, you know, when you see this stuff on the movies and TV, you know it's fake and it's not real. But when you see it on someone you love, it means something totally different because those scars represent something that almost killed someone you love. That's right. Exactly. That's a very good point. Now, how? Uh, what do you do as far as... Um giving support in this area? Like what do you suggest that women do and how do they wrap their heads around the fact that they might not feel a whole woman? This is where our support group comes in. This is where I am a big advocate. I have one close friend who is also a breast cancer survivor, but she did not undergo a mastectomy. She encouraged me to start attending support groups. And as she put it, they speak your language better than anybody else will. They will know exactly what to say to you and you will know that they've been through exactly what you've been through. It'll be a lot easier for you to listen to them and take their advice. You know, and also to with Latin fabulous women, the sisters on that group, were perfectly capable of saying, you know what? Cry. Let the tears out. You're going to have to get it out at some point. So cry as much as you can and find somebody who will let you do that. You have to cry first. You have to get it out because if you don't, it's just going to sit inside and fester, and you don't want anything like that festering for a long period of time. And I'll tell you, being four years on the other side of this, it's a lot easier now to look at those scars mm. than four years ago. Absolutely. You've grown. You've, you've ex- learned how to accept yourself. This is my new normal. Yes. The, the scars do not mean I'm anything less than a woman, mm-hmm. but they mean I'm still here and that I survived it. And yes, on occasion, it does get a little bit difficult, and that 10 minutes in the shower sometimes is the hardest time of my day. But it's only 10 minutes. It's not the other 23 hours and 50 minutes. And what do you do to bring yourself out of that now? Oh, I start playing dress-up. I go into dress-up mode. In fact, that was the first thing I started doing as soon as I got my energy back and started realizing this was not the end but the beginning. I had clothes in my closet that I hadn't worn in five years. Oh. I was trying on. I was running up and down the stairs. Honey, look at buttons. Oh. I was thrilled. So if I start feeling down, I'll go play dress up or we have a thrift store close by. I'll go buy myself something nice at the thrift store for less than five dollars. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it's retail therapy. but it's something That's right. That, That's right. Retail you know? therapy it can be good therapy. It can be good therapy, especially <laughs> when you only paid five dollars for an outfit. You look like you paid a hundred. Hey. That's and, right. So you said you were involved with Toastmasters. Uh, tell us about that a little bit. Well, let's see. Last year, my youngest son moved out of the house for the second time, and it was quite clear he was not coming back. And I decided I needed to do something for me. So I weighed my options, go back to school for two years. Brain cells aren't exactly what they used to be when I was younger. Throw it into a little bit of postmenopausal there, too, because I had my ovaries yanked at the same time. Mm. You want another subject matter? Let's talk about surgical menopause. Okay. (laughs) So I said, okay, go back to school or because of my day job, I talked to a lot of people on the phone and a couple of them had told me a little bit about Toastmasters International. So I got on 
line when I started researching Toastmasters International, found the, their phone number and contact information, called them up, and it turns out one of the people that had been trying to talk me to join Toastmasters through my day job was the person that called me back within an hour. So I talked to Maria. The next day, I was at my first Toastmasters meeting. One month later, I was giving my first speech because I am ready to take this to the public. You know, there's a reason why you're, you've received these challenges in your life, as you well know. And more often than not, it's so you can help other people. Well, Toastmasters is helping me to build my platform, build my speeches, and create my messages and in such a way such that they will be more readily available for people who will actually want to hear them and also be able to understand where I'm coming from in a short seven to ten minute speech. Try cramming about a ten minute speech into seven minutes or even a lifetime into those into that amount of time. That's all the time that they give you. Is that it? Thank you. The first 10 speeches, you are creating speeches, and each speech is a part of what goes into making a good speech, whether it's body language, your vocal variety, organizing it, choosing a topic, things like that. Everything that goes into creating a speech or how to control your ums, ands, ahs, and sos. We have ah counters in our group. And grammarian. <laughs> What's the best way to say this? And two of them are downright brutal, I can tell you. <laughs> well, you need that. That's good. That's constructive criticism. Right. And you don't learn if everybody's telling you how wonderful That's you are. That's right. Exactly. So, yes, they have helped me build my platform of speeches. And there are a couple that might need a little bit of work. <laughs> but that's okay. We're all a work in progress, aren't we? I hope so. <laughs> Otherwise, we're stagnant. Exactly. Either you're green and growing or you're ripe and rotting. How often have you heard that one? <laughs> now, let's back up for a minute and tell me how uh, your doctor responded to your decision. She thought I had lost my marbles. What did she, she say? She just looked at me and said, are you sure you don't want to consider reconstruction? Absolutely not. Are you sure you don't want to? This was three weeks out and she was removing my stitches and giving me my final prognosis, which turned out to be ill. The cancer was all caught with the surgery. And I looked at her and said, are you crazy? I have never had so much fun in my, I have not had this much fun in 24 years. And she just looked at me like, there's something wrong with me for not wanting to have boobs again. But she was very happy three months later whenever she found out that I had indeed went and gotten fit, got fitted with the fake ones. And But, you know, again, well, this is a business for most of them. Of course, they, of course. They, they treat you the way they think they would react if they were in that situation. Now, did you give her your research? I did not give her my research. She just, I did tell her I followed her advice and I did my long-term homework and I decided that this was not in my best interest. But I'm sure that I am probably in the minority, but that minority is steadily growing of late as we started scratching the surface to getting this message out. Yeah, you said there were 2,000 women in the, and that, that's amazing, in, in the face group, Facebook, uh, yes. Facebook group alone. Yes, that's, that's incredible. And it started out with two women, grew to 12, and in two and a half years, it's now close to 2,000. Amazing. So there is a market for this. It's good to hear you're not alone. This is not who we are. This is not what we should be defined by. We're still women. You know, I mean, I have a line. I could probably make it worse, but I'll just use the analogy I used in my Facebook interview that I sent you or my Toastmasters interview that I sent you. It's like defining a man by the size of his wallet to say a woman is defined by the size of her bra. Mm -hmm. You know? It's a metaphor for something else. Yeah, exactly. So who, I mean, how many men want to be defined by 
They don't. So why should women feel like they have to be defined by their boobs are not having them? No, that's a very good analogy. A lot of it comes from within. Mm-hmm. If this is all I'm about, then what do I have to offer? There's got to be Bang on. You're right on, girl. Right. Now, you mentioned surgical menopause. Now, did she, did she uh, take out, you, you said you had a complete hysterectomy at the same time? I had a partial hysterectomy when I was 38, and because my cancer was an estrogen positive, and the estrogen was feeding the cancer, I had my ovaries removed at the same time by, by the gynecologist that had referred me to the oncology surgeon. So he removed my ovaries the same day that I had my breasts removed. And my doctor also took six lip nodes from my left arm because I had one sentinel node, which is the node that's closest to the cancer, that tested positive. Mm. Which is the one reason why I said if I would have waited two more weeks, I guarantee it would have spread. As it was, the the surgery got it all. It was already in the lymphatic system. So, yes, it would have spread rapidly. It was not there yet, but it was on its way. Okay. Okay. I had a bone scan and a CT scan that said everything had been contained and taken care of at the time that I had my breast removed. Okay. There was still that teeny tiny little chance that one might have gotten away because the final pathology showed seven separate cancer cells and they were multiplying. You must have had a good doctor. I had an incredible doctor. I love people who are blunt and to the point. She also has an incredible sense of humor, throwing a little sarcasm here and there. Mm-hmm. She had my undivided attention within five minutes. Oh, that's great. And is she a, a doctor, uh, your personal doctor, or was this strictly for the for the cancer? This, this was strictly for the oncology surgery for my bilateral mastectomy and the six lymph nodes, and I see her now once a year for a lymph node exam. But I was seeing her twice a year, but as of last year, she said, you're fine, I'll see you next oh, time. Oh, positive report all the way. She's wonderful. I will not say anything rotten about her. Except <laughs> she, does, she does need to do a better job of selecting who her friends are, though. I mean, <laughs> the plastic surgeon's got to go. Okay, you tell her that. <laughs> now, back to surgical menopause. I think you touched on something that we need to talk about because there are probably a lot of women who have also experienced this. And what did you, you said that was all other subject. So what would you like to share about that? Oh, surgical menopause, within two weeks, chronic migraines, I'd had them before. My doctor said there was a 50% chance they would get worse or they might get better. I was in that 50% where they got worse. Hot flashes, mood swings, everything I ate seemed like it created a migraine. So not a fun experience. Not a fun experience. She did put me on a drug to prevent recurrence because of that one sentinel node that tested positive. And I stopped taking the drug after 19 months of waking up with chronic muscle and joint pain where I can barely get out of bed in the mornings and everything I'm eating was causing migraines, tried a paleo diet. Yes, that does work, but it's a very difficult diet to stay on if you're postmenopausal or if you're suffering with stuff from side effects from the prescription drugs. So last year I did take matters in my own hands. I did do my homework and research natural estrogen blockers, and that is not something I'm giving away because that is the subject of the last chapter of the book that you just read. Okay. <laughs> that, that has been what, two years in the making and, and now almost two years since I stopped taking the drug and I've actually finally got more normal days than abnormal days. So now the key is just getting a good night's sleep and managing my stress, and I think the rest of the day will take care of itself most of the time. What can you share about your book that you haven't shared already? What? Heck? Well, let's see. The emotional roller coaster ride, which is normal. The importance of the support groups. Uh, 
you got to surround yourself with people that are going to be there for you no matter what. And it's okay if they can't handle it. It doesn't mean they don't love you. It just means that this is not something they are comfortable with. It's taken me a long time to figure that one out. Mm. But uh, I now surround myself with people that want to be in my life. I no longer chase people down if they say they're going to be there for me and they aren't. Hey, you're not the only game in town. I'll go find somebody else. My philosophy on that has changed considerably. It's gone from what can you do to help me meet my needs? And let's see if we can make this a win-win situation for both of us. Because I won't jump into something unless I'm passionate about it unless, and unless both parties receive at least an equal amount of benefit. Well, you sound like a very passionate woman. And it needs somebody like you who has a platform like this, which is breaking ground. It's new territory to share and, um, you know, to expose. And so I believe that um, you're, you're probably going to grow a lot larger I would certainly hope so. Of course, about, about the only ones aren't going to like me right now at this point are plastic surgeons. <laughs> well, that's not your problem. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you're there. You're there to help the women, and that you know they they would appreciate it. I'm sure by bounds. Yes, that's what everyone keeps telling me. Now it's just a matter of getting this beyond one person at a time to reaching a larger audience, which I'm. That's what you're working on. that you decided to agree to interview me for your particular radio show. Yes. Absolutely, because you just never know who's listening. And I'll take, I'll take one person. That's right. Somebody else that can help you. And, I mean, even if it doesn't affect you, we're still women, and it affects all of us in one degree or another, and we want to get the message out. And I didn't – I was not aware of this. I was completely in the dark until you brought this up. And I feel enlightened and, um, you know, I want to join your group, you know, just to be aware of what is going on. And I hope that other listeners will feel the same way. You know, let's get on board, like you say, as women, as sisters, support one another. We never know what the future holds. Well, you can join my Dear Sister page, but the Flat and Fabulous site is only for women who are either trying to make the decision to have reconstruction or those of us who've already made that decision and are now on board looking to either get support or help those who are already there. All right, that's good. Then I'll, I will stick that on your webpage when we when we do up your interview so that uh, women are aware of that, that that is something that they can join. And if they know of somebody who has actually, you know, is considering the surgery or whatever, that they are, there is more help for them there. Absolutely. So that's good. Is there anything else uh, that you would like to share, Chris? Not that I can think of at this point. I think we covered a lot of ground in about 35 minutes. We did. Absolutely. All right. Well, I thank you. You, I love your energy and your enthusiasm about a subject that could be very painful for a lot of women. But let's be informed and not and put the pain and the emotion side of it on the shelf, right? Information is what's going to heal and help. Exactly. Oh, I might also add a quote from Nicolas Cage, the actor. This is now becoming my battle cry. Okay. Um, this is actually, he poked Sarah from Flat and Fabulous posted this quote, I want to say about a year ago. And I am totally taking this to, bank, to the bank tomorrow when I do my contest. Nicolas Cage has stated, and I'm going to quote this exactly, if a man, if a guy only wants you for your breasts, legs, and li- breast, thighs, and legs, send him to KFC. You are a lady, not a cheap value meal. I'm going to write that down. If a guy only wants you for your breasts, thighs, and legs, send him to KFC. You are not a 
Oh, no, you are a lady, not a cheap value meal. <laughs> I can see why that. <laughs> Did he say that in a movie or? It was actually posted as a quote. One of my flat and fabulous sisters got hold of it last year. And it totally went viral on this Facebook page. Oh, my goodness. I'm sure it would. Well, that was a good way to end it. I appreciate that. I'm going to put that on your on your page as well. Right. And I, Very I, well stated. Right. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate that. You. And keep us informed. We will update your web page as different things that you want to share. So just keep me posted. And we look forward to, um, I'm sure my listeners look forward to reading your book and to joining you and support and encouragement and be encouraged themselves. So thank you very much. Thank you for your interview, Carol. Enjoy your evening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.